so welcome everybody to our first Love Curvy Yoga podcast. I am so excited for you to be here, especially because I get to be with my friend and the wonderful Dr. Melody Moore. I met Melody through a book that she contributed an essay to, Yoga and Body Image, 25 Personal Stories About Beauty, Bravery, and Loving Your Body. And as soon as I found out about your work, Melody, I was like, I have to get to know this woman. <laughs> so we've been connecting and through our conversations, I just feel such a kinship both with you and with the work that you're doing. Um, I know I've told you this, but I want to share with everyone that I really feel like the work that you're doing through Embody Love, um, especially working with young people, but also people of all ages, is so supportive of what I'm wanting to do with Curvy Yoga. Like I feel like we're sort of in it together in the work that we're doing and serving um, slightly different populations, but still related. And I'm really grateful for the work that you do. So thank you for being here. It's my pleasure. I'm thrilled. <laughs> I'm going to share your uh, great bio with everybody, and then we'll dive into some questions. So Dr. Melody Moore is the founder and chief loveologist, I love that, <laughs> at Embody Love Movement, a nonprofit whose vision is to create a world where we all see and treat ourselves and therefore everyone as lovable without condition. She's a clinical psychologist who specializes in the treatment of girls and women with a range of eating disorders and negative body image. After spending seven years in private practice, Dr. Moore co-founded Embody Love Center, an integrated treatment center that addresses body, mind, and soul by combining psychotherapy, yoga, and meditation practice and holistic nutrition. She is also on the supervising faculty for the PhD program in clinical psychology at the University of Texas at Southwestern Medical School, a founding member of the Catalyst Collective, and a regional leader for Off the Mat Into the World. Dr. Moore is a dedicated yoga teacher and student and believes wholeheartedly that the revolution begins within each of us. Thank you so much for being here, Melody. <laughs> I wanted to start our conversation with what your relationship was, was like with your own body as a young person. Um, very conflicted. Mm -hmm. I would even use the word hateful. I felt extremely uncomfortable in my skin growing up. Um, I had a lot of negative self-talk toward the way that my body looked and way too much importance on my external appearance. Mm -hmm. So it meant so much to me to hate my body so much and to feel so uncomfortable inside of it. I really felt like it was too big and too much and um, felt really uncomfortable being seen mm -hmm. as a kid. Yeah. I remember being eight years old and at a friend's house. Um, I might have shared this story in the book that you edited that you just mentioned. Um, and her mom offered to serve us fettuccine alfredo for dinner. And I was like, no, I can't eat that. I can't eat, I can't eat white sauce. I have to have red sauce. Eight. Already at eight, yeah. Eight. So it was a really tumultuous growing up and um, full of just wanting to hide and wanting to not be seen inside of my skin. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I really relate to that. I was on Weight Watchers when I was 10. So I had that same like, you know, being able to count out the points of the food and all of that at the same age. Yeah. I was curious when you were a young person, if someone would have said the phrase embody love to you, what would that have meant? Would you have had a framework for that? I don't think I would have. Mm -hmm. I, what do you mean? 
I would have um, maybe known love. Right. Maybe known the word love and understood it to mean something like um, attachment or deep care. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I would have known how to associate that to something applied to myself from myself. I would have thought about right. it only as like an external thing between maybe my parents and I or myself and a friend. Mm-hmm. And what does that mean to you now? Now it means so many things. <laughs> it <really> means <laughs> um, not an action, but a way of life. I see mm-hmm. embodying love as being a a path, a lens, like a perspective with which I, for me, hold myself. Um, to be embodied in the practice of love, to me, means being committed, deeply committed to first being present. Mm. Because I can't be in an in, embodied inside my body, like knowing how I feel, knowing what's going on inside my tissues, um, if I'm somewhere else, if I'm living in the past or projecting into the future. So it means being present in order to be embodied, like to check in inside and see like, how does my heart feel? How does my gut feel in this moment? What am I thinking about? Like to fully, fully align around what is loving. And to me, what is loving is always true. It's always Mm -hmm. full of integrity. Um, It always has lands with that sense of, for an individual, like a, a rightness and alignment of like, this is, um, this is my heart and this is my, my, my gut, my truth. And they're all sort of coming together in this way that's kind and compassionate and full of consideration and thoughtfulness and not being harmful. So embodying love is like a, a practice of life that's full of grace mm-hmm. and compassion and certainly that begins with presence. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's always so interesting to me how our bodies will always tell us the truth if we are able to tune in. I don't think I knew that for such a long time. And now if I have a question and I don't know what to do, if I just take time to check in, I'm like, oh, there's always an answer. And it's really clear and not confusing and all of the things that can happen, I think, when we're in our mind. So what I hear you saying is that practice of embodying love is really from that place of inside, and then you could share it out with others. Right. We have a um, we have a painting in our waiting room that says she decided to listen to the voice that lives inside her belly, mm. and that speaks you know so beautifully to body wisdom, to checking in with. Yeah. Well, I feel hungry right now. You know, for what is it? Is it maybe for food? Do I need to be nourished in that in that way, or do I feel hungry for soothing or for comfort or for love or for attention? Is there something else that I need? And you know, that's like the embodiment of like, okay, there's. Where's the hunger coming from? Oh, yeah. Coming really from my belly? Is it heart hunger? Yeah. Is it coming from, you know, my thinking? Um, and yes, to your point, I do feel like we only have to offer other people what we've given ourselves. Mm-hmm. Like we have to be committed to nourishing ourselves and to um, believing in ourselves so that we have like a capacity to offer out to someone. You know, the wisdom of the airlines, right, is... You have to put on your own oxygen mask before you can offer yeah. to it. And I feel like that is so true about love itself. Like we have to get that love is in the details and how can we be kind and really practice being um, open with ourselves and um, caring enough about ourselves to pay attention to ourselves. Yeah. And that gives us something to give away. Mm-hmm. That seems like a great segue for you to tell us a little bit about the work that you're doing with Embody Love Movement. Could you tell us about the organization and kind of what y'all are up to these days? 
Yeah, well, I loved your reading of our vision statement. I was like, <laughs> it's so inspiring. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I feel like there are so many ways in which we all limit and condition our own lovability. And uh, as I was just saying, that stops us from being able to really practice kindness and compassion for other people. Yeah. Um, the reason to me it's so important that each of us find a way to accept our bodies exactly as we are in each moment <clears throat> is because the space, the energetic space that can take up for someone doesn't allow the freedom to think about things that really matter. Mm-hmm. Like, why am I here? How do I love? How could I serve? What is my purpose? These questions can't even come up and certainly can't be answered if our if our mental space and energy and heart space and energy is taken up in self-hate yeah. and negativity and comparison and judgment. And so in body love movement is um, an attempt at a revolution that starts inside. Mm-hmm. So we provide programs that help girls and women find a way to see themselves as beautiful, to see themselves as full of matter and full of purpose instead of seeing themselves as just an external shell that has to be evaluated and critiqued and compared to a non-existent ideal right. uh, so that they can be in consideration of, oh, I am unique, I matter, I am purposeful, I'm unrepeatable. What can I do with my beautiful life? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I have, I have um, in my own body acceptance journey, I feel like I am almost shocked at how much time is available now that I'm not spending so much time and just resources in general. I mean, time, money, energy, all of that is freed up from that journey. So I definitely second that. It's <laughs> um, surprising slash yikes when I think about how much time I spent. Yeah. And not accepting for sure. Well, I know that you mentioned that you work with young people and I'm wondering if you could share a story about a young person whose life has been changed in terms of their relationship to their body through the work that you're doing, and maybe yoga is a part of that. I can. You, know, um, you mentioned earlier I was in private practice for seven years, and I came out of um, postdoctoral training at a pediatric center for eating disorders, and um, my being was like, no, this is the last mm-hmm. population with which I want to work because I was raised with a sister who had anorexia mm-hmm. and my mom really struggled with her own body acceptance and um, relationship to food as well. And so mm-hmm. therefore, so did I. I came from this environment in this context of like, this is the last population for me, not mm-hmm. understanding that the universe had perfectly lined it up <laughs> with this exact place that I was meant to work and within myself. Um, and with others as well. <clears throat> so I was in private practice as a psychologist, really in this thinking mind and this analytical mind and working with cognitive behavioral therapy and psychoanalytic thinking therapy of reframing with girls with disordered eating and <clears throat> negative body image for years. But in my own life, I was practicing yoga. Mm-hmm. And I was finding for myself that this tremendous capacity to find um, internal acceptance Um, that led to external acceptance and alignment and all these principles that were coming through yoga. And I thought, I have got to find a way to offer this to my clients because disordered eating involves a real cutoff at the neck. 
like the, the thinking is in control of eating and not the belly. So there's this disintegration and dissociation. Mm-hmm. And in that yoga, getting them on the mat is going to help them realign and have access to, like we were talking about earlier, belly hunger um, and the feelings that come up within their hearts. So like, for example, I, I did a group with about, I think 10 girls, teenage girls. So they were between the ages of 14 and 18 at the time. And it was like a six weeks group of, um, it went actually through the chakra system, although they didn't know that, <laughs> um, teaching them how to get grounded and how to stop comparing and how to um, be present in the moment on their mats and how to use the mat as a mirror instead of the external mirror as a way of understanding themselves. Mm-hmm. And they started with just breathing with some pranayana exercises and have them put a hand on a belly, which can be really frightening for somebody that has body distortions or isn't accepting of their body in any way, I had them put their hands right on their belly and teach them how to inhale deeply into their lower diaphragm. And um, a girl that had struggled for, I think, at least five or six years at the time with severe anorexia nervosa said to me, I feel hungry. Wow. And I was like, what? (laughs) Whoa. And she was like, I forgot what hunger felt like. The last time I felt hungry, I was like 10 or 11 years old and she was 16 at the time. And she was like, when I take that deep breath, then I feel hunger. And I knew that was food hunger. (laughs) I was like, I haven't eaten enough for so many years. I am really hungry. That was just such an awesome moment. Yeah. Yeah. Another example is I had a girl who was a, a dancer and she was a competitive dancer and actually went to a high school for performing arts here in Dallas. And so she had that sort of stereotypical, perfectionistic, best little girl in the world, bright, sunshiny soul. But man, was she so hard on her body mm-hmm. and spent a lot of time in front of mirrors as a dancer. And she tried to switch from ballet to hip hop in order to help like uh, diminish that a little bit, thinking this would be like a little bit easier crowd. Now she's wearing baggy clothes instead of the ballerina <laughs> you know, uniform, which is much tighter. Um, but still was so dissociated from her body. And so I introduced her to the yoga mat and there she found such a beautiful acceptance for herself. She found her again, breath, which I feel like Mm -hmm. it always comes back to that, you know, and her ability to move based on how she was breathing. So based not on what somebody outside of her was directing her to do or the applause she might've been getting from an audience, but there on the mat, it was like just her and God. You know, just her and her truth, just her and her breath. And she completely transformed her relationship to her body based on being inside of her capacity to approximate poses or not, but having that not be what mattered, having what was seen on the outside not be what was important about about these moments that she was spending. And she became a really dedicated practitioner. And in so doing, I would say completely left behind her eating disorder and completely left behind um, the ways in which she viewed herself as as being a comparison to an ideal or another or her previous self yeah. um, really was able to just embrace this is this is beautiful me in, in this present moment wow that's wow, so that inspiring is. yeah well, it feels like she was able to focus on what really felt good for her rather than what someone else perceived as good or important or a particular look or whatever, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. Good yeah. for her. 
like and connected to her you know just more connected to internally again like I feel like the yoga practice offers that to us this internal sense of this is what I need in this moment whether we're on our mat and it's like oh I really need to put my knee down here it's just doesn't this high crescent lunge is really too much for my breath to sustain I really need to and that active self-love that like practice of like ah I think helped her do things you know she would tell me at night she was so limited in her capacity to listen to her belly around food Mm -hmm. and she would go to sleep at night after her evening meal and she would say while she started practicing yoga you know about midnight I realized I couldn't sleep and I thought I'm hungry so I would go down and make myself a snack which may not sound like a big deal but this was like miraculous no that's huge yeah that she could do it, that she could listen to her own internal sense of hunger and go, I, I'm worth that. I deserve that. And I'm going to feed myself and then I'll be able to rest. Like, oh, she got it. Yeah. I feel like yoga is so practical in those ways. That's one of the things I really love about it, that it can give you these concrete tools that you learn on the mat and then you can take off the mat. I feel like we don't talk about that enough, but that it's really important. Exactly. I feel like the entire practice is symbolic. Mm, you know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm grateful to have been practicing long enough to recognize there's really not even a duality the on the mat, off the That's mat. That's so it's, true, yeah. <laughs> it becomes just like, oh, it's also symbolic. So like the whole practice is about just an analogy of how we treat ourselves otherwise. And mm-hmm. one of the things I as a psychologist will love about the mat is it's really hard to blame it. It's just, (laughs) (laughs) you know, so when we're like projections come up and we have these big feelings about what's happening there, we are forced to go internal and look within and see like, what is it about me that's getting so frustrated in this moment? And why am I sabotaging myself in this way? Right. Why am I bringing up comparison to what I think I should be able to do or to look like, you know, what, what is it? Why aren't I able to let go of the frustration and really be present in this moment? It's impossible to blame that, two by six sticky right. <laughs> for our feelings. And with other people, we're very, you know, it's very easy to point outside of ourselves and say, it's your fault. You did this to me. You're causing this within me. And with that, Matt, it's like, oh, actually, <laughs> I'm bringing all of this. To right. Yeah, the Matt has no stake in it, really. <laughs> um, what do you wish that yoga teachers knew about how yoga can support body image? I wish that they knew. That's a good question. Um, first, how to, um, what we were just talking about, how to language in such a way that consistently points to following your own breathing, being your own teacher, being your own guide that's really trustworthy and full of grace for yourselves. And um, so often I feel like yoga teachers, um, in their best attempt, really give a lot of uh, instruction as though it's a manual and as though their guidance is the way. And if the, if the student or practitioner isn't following along in their cadence or according to the approximation of poses that they're calling out, they're somehow left with a feeling of, um, I'll say the word shame. Mm-hmm. And that does the, exactly the opposite of what you were just asking about of helping someone to accept their body. If we create shame, we can throw acceptance out the window. They're, they're it's the dark it's the opposite so yeah, I think yeah. for teachers to be more aware of their their cueing mm-hmm. um, to allow for students to follow what's within them knowing that that's symbolic of them being able to rely on and believe in the truth within themselves off the mat too 
another piece I would say, Anna, is yoga teachers, I feel like, do have and hold a great privilege to have that kind of stage and to be able to recognize the projections that are coming on to them is important to be to be clean of it, to not take it on as though it's truth, but to recognize this is happening. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think offers us, I'm, I'm a teacher too, you know, a responsibility of how about looking within ourselves and really being courageous enough to be honest with how we're holding our own bodies and how we're holding our own internal dialogue. Because whether or not we're conscious of it, we're certainly um, giving off energetically our own either negativity or positivity. We are, we are shining out. We're mirroring off and reflecting the ways in which we hold our bodies and the ways in which we hold ourselves. And so if we're not in a place of self-acceptance, we're offering to our students that same critic, that same judgment, that same negative internal dialogue, even if we think we're holding them with compassion, it's actually impossible. That's not the way the mind works. So I'd say to yoga teachers too, like, you know, recognize your responsibility in that role. It comes, that privilege comes with the responsibility of being willing to self-excavate and hold yourself with compassion so that you can encourage non-verbally and verbally, unconsciously and consciously your students to do the same. That's so great. Yeah, that kind of speaks to one of the impetuses for the book because I feel like, and, and I think this is still true, although I think the conversation's growing, that body image is present in the room, whether we're talking about it or not. <laughs> so the more we can, as teachers, look at our own experience, like you said, and then also offer space for students to do the same, I think the better. Because otherwise, when we don't talk about it, it goes right back to what you said, which is shame, which is so, which thrives on silence and not being talked about. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah. It's, it does seem that unfortunately in the yoga community, there is this striving toward a body ideal mm-hmm. that almost seems to be following um, what's happening in mainstream media. Mm-hmm. And it's so disheartening because to me, it's like the opposite of what yoga means and what union means. Yeah. Yes. It's, it's separating. And it's a lot of judgment and critique. And again, they were basing um, asana a, a practice as though that's the only limb of yoga, the physical experience, instead of being like an opportunity to engage in a more meditative, self-introspective practice. And um, I think it's a real shame because it's not inviting to um, most people if there's this sort of, this is the way a yogi should look and this is the way a pose should look. And that's the same thing. Exactly. (laughs) It's just not true. Yeah, asana is one limb of eight and not even the first or the eighth. It's in there. But it's preparation. What advice do you have for students who are wanting to use yoga as a tool for body acceptance? I would say great, wonderful, welcome. (laughs) And um, using your breath as a guide, find a teacher that you feel safe with, that you feel like you can trust. Find a teacher that you feel like in her or his presence, you can use your breath as a guide. You can have an experience on your mat that's led by you and that's for you Um, because it is so easy and in so many other uh, physical activities to get caught up in an outcome, to get 
get caught up in whether or not your approximation of the pose is right. And um, there's not that dualistic nature in yoga. And so I think it's really important to, to begin with, um, if your commitment is to staying true to your breath, your, your literal, like your lungs capacity to inhale and exhale, your breath can even guide you in the finding of a teacher who allows for that process with acceptance. Mm-hmm. And um, I would say too, with compassion to stay committed I say with compassion because, again, you know, the danger is jumping so quickly into shame. Well, I went to, we hear this a lot, right, Anna? Like, well, I went to yoga, but I couldn't do anything, and I felt so embarrassed, and so I'm definitely not going back. Right. Um, so there's this balance of, like, staying present and maybe trying, tr- continuing to try, trying more than one teacher, trying more than one day on the mat, that, like, as a beginning student, it does, it's, like, a little bit like dating. <laughs> it takes a while. <laughs> And to know that this practice is different than any other physical activity where the focus is not on performance. Right. Right. The focus is on self-care. And staying committed to that knowing um, will definitely result in finding more acceptance for your body because you're finding more acceptance for yourself. Yeah, and I like how um, beautifully those two go together, that you can use that guide of the breath to see when you're in that compassionate commitment, I think, too. They're very um, supportive of each other. Mm-hmm. Like we've all been in those places of like, I got to get into this, whatever, you know, oh, gotta get yeah. into this, up in the headstand because I just really want to know that feeling. And then, you know, somehow you somehow arrive and like nothing changes. Our life isn't any better. We don't make any more money or have any more friends. Like, right. You're like, really? <laughs> sort of laugh like, wow, that striving and what other areas in my life do I just work so hard and grip my teeth and lose my breath over? Because you know what? Nothing's worth losing your breath. Nothing. It's like one of the only things we have any capacity to control or manipulate is the pace of our breath and our response to it. So um, to allow yourself the time, whether it's 20 minute practice or a 75 minute practice um, to just be in, um, in this curiosity about navigating, keeping your breath the same (laughs) and and calm and under your guidance is, um, it really is a life-changing practice. I agree. Oh, I'm so excited about all of this. I want to talk about ways for people to learn more about what you're doing and get involved because I know that our community is going to be all over this. (laughs) So as part of kicking off this podcast, um, we at Curve Yoga are giving a few thousand dollars to Embody Love Movement, which I am just so excited to be able to support. And I know that we had talked about um, supporting girls and the training that you offer, the workshops, and that $25 will support one girl, which is amazing. And I want to let everybody know that you've built such a sustainable model because you pay your facilitators, which I've experienced working in nonprofits and know how rare that is and also how critical that is to the long-term health and sustainability of your organization and what you're doing and gives the girls a better experience too. And their facilitators are really present and engaged. So I don't only support the content, but also the structure of what you're doing, which I think is really solid. So if people want to get involved, whether in contributing financially or in other ways, what options do they have? Thank you so much. I feel like it's kind of a two-part question. So can I answer? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) 
Um, so you're referencing something called the Inner Beauty Shops, and that is a program that was a, a curriculum co-written by seven girls who were um, between 18 and 21, who were girls that were in recovery from their own negative body image. Mm -hmm. And it's a three-hour workshop that includes lots of exercises, including a yoga practice, um, that really takes girls on a journey. And this is girls of any age. We start in fourth grade and all the way up to adulthood. Awesome. But it takes awesome. girls on a journey into um, these things that we've been talking about, into a journey of self-acceptance. I'm using yoga as one of the tools and some experiential exercises as well, including media literacy. Mm -hmm. um, and ending in a pledge and a commitment that comes from their heart that they write and are held accountable to by the rest of the group about how they're going to change their internal dialogue around their, the ways in which they speak to themselves about their bodies and how they um, hold and compare or stop comparing to other people mm -hmm. and instead finding meaning in their, in their own unique talents and gifts. So it's a really beautiful arc and a transformational one um, it's uncomfortable. We let them know that in the beginning. And because we have to be uncomfortable to create change, it's really, it's really a beautiful process. And we've been so fortunate to be able to offer it in schools and in camps and in um, small groups like Girl Scout groups and national charity leagues, all the way up to uh, various sororities across the country. So um, ways that, and you're right, so it costs $25 per girl to have a workshop, and we do pay our facilitators. And we have four facilitator trainings per year. The next one coming up is June 6th through 8th. And then there's also one September, I think it's 12th through 14th. So those will be the next two in 2014. If people would like to go on our website and bodylovemovement.org and fill out a facilitator training application, I'd love to have you. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you we'll, are, link, we'll, we'll link all we'll that link stuff all for people. Awesome. You are doing an incredible match grant, which I'm so appreciative of, Anna. I mean, you are someone so full of integrity. I really have been very honored and inspired by the ways in which you've shown up for me and for this work. I see it like your heart's so pure. And I'm really grateful for that. Yeah. So each of the $25 that you donate will go toward one girl's being able to experience that journey that I was just talking about. Um, at the end, she also gets a journal and um, with 50 mm -hmm. questions that I wrote about a journey to self-love so that there is some follow-up and ways for her to continue to engage and really looking at the ways in which she speaks to herself and the ways that she talks about um, other people and views other people. So I feel like that's kind of another another piece that I like to talk about. Yes, and we yes. invite girls yes. at the end of the journey to join the revolution. We let them know you're a revolutionary. Welcome. And together we're going to change the world by changing this conversation from negativity to what we all are really here about and what really matters. Mm -hmm. um, so people can get involved by matching your match grant and donating any amount of money. I'm sure you have a plan in mind for how you're going to, um, to offer that. But each $25 does allow for one girl to participate in the workshop and, and join the revolution with us. Um, those are offered in groups of 12 to 15 girls. So that it's a really an interactive experience. It's, not, it's in no way passive. And we really call them up. Um, and ask them mm -hmm. to be mm -hmm. courageous and truthful and vulnerable in this process so that they leave with a completely different feeling of um, how important it is that they practice love towards themselves. I'm feeling like I'm ready. Let's go on the revolution right now. <laughs> is there anything else you'd like to share with our community before we wrap up? 
Sure, about Embodied Love Movement, you know, another couple things that we do, we have clubs in schools. Um, they're called Embodied Love Clubs. So if there is a, a teenager or even a college student listening or a mom that has a kid in school that thinks she might be empowered to start something like this, we'd love to hear from you mm-hmm. um, because this is a way for us to stay engaged on campuses throughout the school year. And these Embodied Love Clubs do campaigns that involve the entire student body. So it just takes one to gather a team um, to then put on all kinds of campaigns throughout the year. We have a Don't Dare Compare campaign where people are asked not to make comparative comments and call each other up if they do so one week of the year. Um, We have a Mirror Mirror campaign where they write positive um, body image notes all over the mirrors of throughout the campus. So it's just like a consistent telling of all the students around, like, this is really important, this matters. and another thing we have coming down the pike soon is this in-school curriculum that's going to be used by um, health teachers and PE coaches and trainers to have this be part of a curriculum. It's a six-week curriculum to have within the school system. Wow. I have to say, as someone who worked doing somewhat similar work in a school system, I know what a big undertaking that is. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, getting it through inquires uh, requires just a little bit of red tape, right? <laughs> right. Starting with private schools is a little bit easier. Um, you know, Anna, I I believe that this is something that needs to happen, yeah. and that yeah. the universe aligns in the favor of what really needs to happen because it's not mine. You know, it's it's really God's, and. I try not to be too afraid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I try to lead with my heart, and I try to just lead with faith that if, if this is going to come to pass because it's going to change the lives of these girls that really desperately need to know how much they're worth and how much they matter, then it will be. And, and that's part of me just being truthful with myself of like, yeah, this isn't about me. This isn't about what I can do or I can accomplish. It's so about like this love needs to be known. Mm-hmm. It already is. Nothing needs to change about these girls for them to fall in love with themselves but we've got to get everything that's in the way, all these blocks and obstacles out of the way so that they can, again, recognize um, their true worth. Yeah. 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 So red tape. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, you're clearly knocking it right on out of the way. So. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Well, thank you so much for being here and for being our first guest on the podcast. I'm so honored by that. Um, Like I mentioned, we'll be linking up all the stuff that you talked about, um, as well as anything else that you'd like to send over. And I encourage everyone who's listening to get to know Melody and her work and um, to contribute as you're able to the match grant and let us support as many girls and as much of the work as we can. So thank you so much. Thank you, Anna. I so appreciate it. Yeah. Bye. <laughs>